when you look at your your past, oftentimes you can see a pattern and you can see that one thing led to another thing that led to another. Listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm Trevor Algott. And I'm AJ Meyer. And coming up in episode 283, part one of Trevor's chat with veteran actress, writer, and director Judy Ann Elder. Now, she's best known for her roles on TV shows such as Murphy Brown, Martin, and Family Matters, but she got her start decades ago on the stages of New York City. In part one, Judy Ann takes us through those early fruitful years, weaving stories of her success with lessons in conviction, commitment, and community. That and more coming up in episode 283. Stay with us. Support for this episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Rehearsal Pro, the current version of Rehearsal that cracks me up that we always say the new version, and now it's the current version that has been for some time. And uh, guys, this is an essential app. It is a must-have tool for your toolbox, and it's now available in the iTunes App Store for your iOS device, whether that's an iPhone, an iPod Touch, or an iPad. You can get this app right now to help you learn your lines, be off book for auditions, explore your character, make strong choices and do some more cool stuff that's still in the pipeline go to rehearsal.pro slash iap right now to learn all about these kick-ass features in this current version of rehearsal it is a groundbreaking app and you will turn to it every single time you get a call to go in the room because after you use it just once and kill it in the room you'll be like how did i live without this thing check it out rehearsal.pro slash iap Hey Trevor, happy Fourth uh, of July, buddy. How was your uh, How was your holiday? We took a week off in in celebration of the birth of our nation. Yeah, yeah, it was all right. And you, um, you did something cool though. You were up in uh, in Big Bear. Um, yes, I, I think I probably have talked about this on the podcast before, but the Fourth of July is actually Jasmine's birthday, and so being Australian, it's as if. The U.S. has been throwing her this big party on her birthday every year for the last eight years that she's been here. Um, so it's always kind of fun, and, and um, we have to get creative usually to figure out what we're going to do because most places are, you know, busy or um, you know only celebrating the holiday or whatever. So it was nice to be able to get out of town, did some hiking. Um, ben Whitehair joined us. Uh, Gadali Gubrick, our marketing web director, was up there with us. Um, we had my sister came. It was a good time. We did a. Did a big hike, saw some fireworks, um, you know, America, <laughs> ate some stuff. <laughs> awesome, man. Hey, and speaking of Jasmine, she's offering something pretty sweet to our members. Do you want to talk about this? Yeah. So if you are in the IAP membership, Jasmine is offering 30 minutes of one-on-one -on -one coaching for her uh, mid-year review and renew um, goal setting. You can uh, email her if you're one of our members at jasminebristow at gmail.com and uh, set up a time. And, of course, uh, the nice thing about doing it one-on-one -on -one is you don't have to be in Los Angeles. So if you're listening to this, you're uh, a member with us, and you'd like to take advantage of 30 minutes of free coaching, um, you can do that. It's basically a one-on-one -on -one version of the um, goal-setting 
um, goal setting uh, group that she did. What was it? Uh, two weeks ago now. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is this via email, via phone, via Skype, in person, or all of the above, whatever's easiest? I guess whatever's easiest, but of course, you probably prefer over the phone or over some kind of FaceTime, like a Skype or, or FaceTime or awesome. Google, what's it called? Google Meet. Google has a new thing now. The Google Hangout went away, and it became this new thing called Google Meet or something like that. Meet. M-E-E-T. Um, M-E-E-T, not M-E-A-T. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's called Google Meet. M-E-E-T. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, I assumed as much, but you kind of never know because, uh, like, the, the current, like, <laughs> the current, like, name for, like, real life is is called Meet Space. M-E-A-T Space. Like, Wait, like, what? Yeah, that's what people call, like... What do you mean, like, real life? Like, real life. Like, if you and I were to hang out in person, like, you were to come over and hang out... We would be meeting in Meet Space. Wait, what? Who's who? Who made up this Dude, rule? Up? The, the internet says this. It must oh, be God. a new rule, right? It's a new thing. Is this one of these like weird internet slangs that make me feel like <laughs> yeah. I'm super old? Dude. Yeah, I, I won't even. I, I have to look so much shit up every day just to be like, what does this abbreviation stand for? What does that <laughs> word mean? I I put on my glasses and everything. It's it's bad, man. It's bad. The kids oh, these God. days. The kids I, these days. Like, I don't know. I, I looked up and I, I cannot relate anymore to the younger generation. Like, I just can't do it. It's funny. I, 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 at some point, I crossed that line where I, I, I veered into old person territory. And I look at the kids and I'm like, wow. I just, wow. I veered into old person territory. Did you see that post that I posted the other day about call waiting? Uh, I, I don't think so. What would you post? Coworker came up to me the other day. He, oh guys, yeah, I did. Five yeah. years, five years younger than me, and he goes, "What's call waiting?" <laughs> oh, God. And I was like, I, okay. "I, I, have to go home. It's, I can't blame it on the system, man. Okay. I need to lie down and take a nap. I mean, yeah. it's great that we don't have to deal with it anymore. Absolutely, just like it's great we don't have to deal with darkness anymore. Thanks, Tesla. I'm just saying." I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> anyway, we just dated ourselves big time. No. What's going on? What else is going on in the membership? We've got <laughs> like, no segue. I'm just like, get off the subject. Get off the subject. Yeah, right. We're in uh, week seven of uh, The Prosperous Heart, right? Yeah. Yeah. This chapter is all about forgiveness this week. And uh, I, I kind of fell off the wagon for a week there. I was just a few days behind, but I've ca- I'm caught up on all the reading and the exercises. And I got to say this... This book is bringing up some stuff for me. Uh, there, a lot of the forgiveness stuff. It's it just Julia Cameron knows what she's talking about. And these exercises, you know, they only work if you do them, you know, so it takes some time. But I was just going through and, and, and completing them one by one. And I, I just I'm, – I'm getting really upset. <laughs> like wait, what I'm uncovering because I'm like, oh, this is what's really going on when it comes to – not just financial abundance, but any kind of abundance in, in my life. And I'm not saying that, you know, you need to do this kind of thing to connect to some, you know, I'm not saying we're all damaged, I guess, but uh, it's been very powerful for me. And I know for the people that are that are still with us. So uh, it's never too late to jump in. You can pick up the book anytime and hop into the membership and see what people are talking about. Share your own journey, share your story, um, bring up anything at all that you want to discuss we are in open safe space and uh it's been a real process of discovery for me i am feeling a lot of resistance to it um predictably because it's difficult but that's how you know it's working right 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the fact that you continue to push forward through the resistance is, um, you know, a testament to your self-awareness and your willingness to do the work. But you're right. The fact that there's resistance coming up at all in the first place is uh, is telling um, it's something to be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, we're also still uh, doing the Working Wednesday hashtag on Twitter. It's always really cool to see what uh, listeners are doing on their Wednesdays, whether it's reviewing a script or actually in the waiting room at an audition or driving to or from somewhere in hair and makeup and costume, whatever you're doing, whatever you are doing on Wednesday, uh, snap a photo, drop a little description in there and tag it with Working Wednesday on Twitter and we will retweet it. It's just really cool to see what people are up to and, and connect with the community. Just wanted to drop a reminder in about that. Uh, anything crazy cool or crazy going on in your world? <laughs> crazy cool or crazy. I like those uh, two categories. That's yeah. it. I just came that's, up with that just uh, now. You can have that, by that, the way. It's, that's, that's the that's bifurcation. Free. All right. Thanks. I'll <laughs> take it to the bank, buddy. Crazy cool or crazy. Um, it was it was a pretty... Mm, I don't know how to say it. It wasn't busy. It was um, impactful. A couple of weeks, um, obviously had some time off for the holiday or, or whatnot, but um, did get my new headshots finally retouched and published, which was nice. So I'm starting to upload those to um, the various um, electronic submission sites. They're killer, by the a, way. If, if anybody listening has, I'm sorry to cut you off, dude, but they are really good headshots. They're the best thanks, headshots man. you've ever taken, and they're so specific. For an ethnically ambiguous guy, these are very specific headshots. I think you're going to see some great results. Thanks, man. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I've been getting great feedback, and I'm really excited about them. I'm really excited to have my reps start using them. Um, shout out to uh, my friend John Wickersham, who uh, move to Atlanta to try out that regional market. So if you're in Atlanta and looking for headshots, let me know and I'll, I'll get you, I'll get you two hooked up. He's, uh, he's fantastic, but, um, uh, had that. And then also had a meeting with my manager. That was, um, nice. We ha- actually hadn't sat down in meat space. Ugh. Uh, since <laughs> it is kind of uh, gross, isn't it? <laughs> it, it? It feels so Dirty. Um, yeah. We hadn't sat down in meat space until uh, or since rather um, I got back from New York. So that was really great. Um, I, I, I do want to say I didn't think about this until I started talking about these headshots. <clears throat> I, I need to talk about how terrible the electronic submissions websites are. Like I don't know what to do about this. And I feel like starting some kind of mass protest or uh, – petition or something starting with our listeners like leading this movement or this charge but they are so awful like ridiculously terrible and they charge actors so much money because they they know they can they know they can rake us over the coals because they're kind of the only game in town i'm speaking specifically of la casting casting frontier and and actors access it's insane how terrible these websites are. It took me, I kid you not, something like four, three and a half or four hours to upload three headshots to LA Casting and Casting Frontier because of how terrible their website is, how terrible the user interface is, how long it takes to upload a single headshot, how confusing the pricing structure is. Um, you can't delete photos off of LA casting. You can only add photos. Yeah. That's always Um, driven me fucking crazy. It is 
out. It is insane. And and <clears throat> you're making all this money. Why not take it and invest it back into the website itself to improve it? Where is the money going? Who like is it just going to the people who own it? Are they just skimming this money off the top and then charging actors all this money because they can? I can post my headshots on Facebook for free. I can email them for free. I can text them for free. I can put them up in so many different places for free, but they charge because they offer a service where my agent can submit me for to a breakdown. It's ridiculous. And it's so bad, and this is like the, 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 the thing that really finally got my blood boiling, and I actually screenshotted this and sent it to Ben Whitehair so that he could forward it along to the sag After leadership. But I went into uh, my profile uh, to update some, some other stuff and, and update my, my headshots, and under union affiliation, I was like, oh, hey, I'm sag After now. I wasn't the last time I was logged into LA Casting. I'll go and change that. SAG and AFTRA are still listed separately five years, five years after the merger. Are yeah. you kidding me? Where yeah. is the money going? Where? Who is getting the money that actors are paying to upload their stuff to these websites? As you can probably tell, I'm pretty animated and about this, and animated is a nice way of saying pissed off. Like, I cannot believe it's like a scam. It's like a professional scam. And it it's like, it's, it's insane. I'm so angry about it. And, and I, so I screenshot it and I sent it to, um, to Ben, he's going to forward it along to some of the SAG after leadership. I guess they've been working on it with them. I'm like, well, clearly they don't give two shits about the union or the actors represented by the union. They're just a business like a, like this business leech sucking money out of the side of the industry because they are this go between between representation or slash actor and casting director. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think I'm, I think I can take a breath now and get off my soapbox. No, I'm, I'm with you, man. And it's, it's, it's exceptionally shitty because like you said, they're the only game in town. Like they have the market cornered. Like there's, there's no incentive for them to put, money into improving the infrastructure if it already works you know quote unquote works like if it gets the job done if it connects party a with party b uh and every agent manager um intern like person who works on those sites every day you know submitting actors to jobs and using the the platforms to to interface with you know various whatever's they, they all say the same thing they all complain incessantly about how shitty it is yeah uh yeah, and my I, reps I, I complained to my manager she was like believe me all of your reps hate them too yeah and i'm wondering if this is just in la i mean the la ones are they have not been updated since i moved out to la i mean i think la oh casting God. got one overhaul and casting frontier is one of the new ones that was sort of sort of born that i saw sort of come to the fore uh since my time here but but uh, they haven't really evolved at all. Like nothing is different about the process or the technology or the speed or the pricing. Like you said, the pricing is really confusing. And also like, it's just, it's just shitty. It's just, they just nickel and dime people. Like what is it on LA casting? And uh, part of me is like, oh, they're going to hear this and blackball us. I'm like, I don't care. Um, Who cares? Yeah, seriously. Uh, <laughs> Bring it. Yeah. Uh, what is it, like 25 bucks to switch out your main headshot? 
mm-hmm. and then like 10 bucks for additional headshots. But, but the first one is 25 bucks, whether it's your main headshot or not. And then like, like you said, you can't delete them. You can, you can't even like archive or, I, oh it, yeah, you're right. It is a total hike. But then, but then like your, your, your skill clips or whatever I think are free. And then your monthly membership is like different depending on whether or not you're represented or not, but there's also a free tier and, and I, now, now you got me going, dude, because I told you, <laughs> and told you know, you. and, and there were, you know, back when I was doing commercial auditioning and stuff there, they do have like a, a uh, like a kiosk, I guess, like a, a manned kiosk at, uh, or they did at 200 South La Brea. So you could actually go mm-hmm. in and talk mm-hmm. to a real person. Yep. I and remember I, that. I went in several times to talk to somebody. Those people are not helpful. I'm sorry. They're, they were, they were kind of jerks and they, they, they weren't interested in like, making the experience pleasant for actors it was just yeah i'm with you dude i felt very much like a barcode like a number like another way uh to sort of line someone's pockets at the company yeah and it sucks because we all have to, if you're doing commercials that's that's just the way it is you're stuck with them so hopefully some other you know game comes into town and just demolishes uh you know those sites as they exist right now and actually you know build some goodness into them somewhere yeah i i don't know how to solve the problem i honestly don't all i know how to do like i said is rail yeah against well, it and i think getting the into the you know the in front of the eyes of the leadership at sag after is a really good step i mean you said they've been working with them but i think the more messages they get from actors like this saying like this is a shit situation can we please fix this I think the, the the faster it'll happen. Oh, well, I hope so. Anyway, uh, deep breaths, everyone. Um, <laughs> and if uh, and if anyone has any uh, additional information or insight, um, please uh, send us an email or call us. 213-2-ACTORS. Well, we do have a question we want to get to from our listener Sam in Chicago. He's going to be moving out to L.A. soon. But before we uh, jump into that, uh, of course, want to hear from our sponsor, VO2Gogo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. You can visit VO2Gogo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that'll help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO as in voiceover, the number two, gogo.com slash start. Yeah, we just had a... Uh... Uh, a longtime listener, um, Gab- Gabigail, I think is her username on Twitter or Instagram. And um, she just signed up for Vito Gogo. And she was like, Why did I wait so long? I think yeah, once she I logged in tweet. and when she saw like what it was all about, it was just like, Whoa. I mean, it is a treasure trove. It, it is exactly, it is everything you need from to go from zero to hero, like, like David says. So um, just wanted to drop that in there. It's worth it. Worth it. Hashtag worth it. So we do have this question from Sam, and um, like you said, AJ, uh, we kind of he, he wrote us a longer email about some of his sort of backstory, but the the core of it is is this. He says, "I have no training, and all the work I have done in Chicago means nothing as going toward SAG." I want to take some classes, but I'm on a limited budget, and Chicago has plenty of theaters. But with the exception of Second City, the schooling is spotty at best. I am moving to L.A. with my family soon, and I was wondering, 
Should I include these featured roles on my on my sickly and sad resume? Uh, and do casting directors really consider webinars and the such seriously? I want to make a serious go of this. I'm reading every book I can and listening to all the podcasts. Any help would be appreciated. Thanks, guys. So, Sam, thank you for writing in. Thank you for, uh, as always, I'm always honored. Um, I'm always honored just to to be on the receiving end of, of, a, of, of a call for help. It, it is tough to ask for help. Uh, of course, we don't want to beat ourselves up. Um, referring to your, re- your resume as sickly and sad is, is funny, but, you know, everybody starts somewhere, you know? There's nothing to be ashamed of uh, in that. And uh, it, there's a lot to learn in the industry. So, so be nice to yourself. Be nice to yourself, Sam. Mm-hmm. Um, so a few things I think we want to clarify, AJ, you and I were talking about this before we started recording. There's a few things that aren't quite clear here. And I think the the big two that jump out is that, um, Sam, when you refer to featured roles uh, on your resume, uh, we're assuming you're talking about extra roles. Featured is the sort of mm, industry parlance for being an extra. So instead of writing me like, I was an extra on such and such a show or such and such a film, you write featured and then you put in the name of the production. Um, so we're assuming that, that that's kind of what you're going for. Uh, and then also uh, when you say webinars, we weren't quite sure if you were talking about uh, a web series, like like you, act, you appeared in a web series as an actor uh, or... This is a webinar that is some sort of like uh, acting training, whether it's a business training or an online acting class or a voiceover class or something like that, whether that's that's what you're talking about and whether that is training you should put on your your resume. So we're going to kind of uh, ant- respond to this as, as best we can, as quickly as we can, based on um, what we understand of the industry and, and uh, this this email. So... Uh, Hmm, let's start at the beginning. I want to take some classes. I'm on a limited budget. Chicago has plenty of theaters, but with the exception of Second City, the schooling is spotty at best. So I'm curious, Sam, if you're looking for a name school to put on your resume or you're just looking for experience. Because you say there are plenty of theaters and you want to take classes, but uh, Second City is the is the only sort of reputable school and all the other schools are, are spotty, you say. In my uh, experience, 14 years in this industry and uh, many before I moved to L.A., uh, experience is the best teacher. Classes are great, but nothing trumps getting on stage, getting in front of people, and just practicing, 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 practicing. Uh, Put yourself in front of an audience of some kind as often as you can and you will get better. And when you're not in front of an audience, be reading plays. That was some advice given to me by a college professor. And, and you actually do become a better actor just by absorbing the words of a playwright or a, a screenwriter uh, in a script. So that's the first response I would offer. Uh, I wanted to toss it to you, AJ. Anything, any thoughts there? In terms of the classes specifically, not really. I mean, I think you, I think you hit it. Um, if he does mean webinars as in online classes as opposed to web series then i would just say to answer that part of his question where he says do they do casting directors really take them seriously yeah if it's a if it's with a reputable known uh, teacher or school yeah of course they're they're going to take it seriously um resumes are all about name recognition remember the resume is never ever ever 
ever once booked an actor a job. Never once has a resume booked an, act, an actor a job. What a resume does is get an actor in the room. Um, so if, uh, if there's some, some kind of name recognition there, then it might actually, there's a chance it might get you called in, possibly. Um, but it's never booked somebody a job. So um, that was the only sort of one little tidbit that I would add on to everything that you said, Trev. Okay, cool, cool. Um, I'm just looking through his email here and I'm trying to figure out what, how else we can respond to anything else here. Um, well, I think the other things, uh, I would address you know, he says that he was featured and we're not sure what that means. If you were a featured extra, you should have in fact gotten, or sorry, received, um, uh, union, um, uh, what are they called? SAG after vouchers and after three of those, you should be able to turn those into SAG-AFTRA and, um, and, and become, be considered uh, SAG-AFTRA eligible. Um, so if you, you know, you, you said that you've been featured twice on Chicago Fire and once on Chicago PD and Chicago Med, like you should, I, I don't know why you're saying that it doesn't mean anything as in terms of going towards your SAG-AFTRA eligibility, um, because it should. So that concerns me a bit. Um, it makes me wonder how you're being used on these sets um, and makes me want to say to you, like, you should be reaching out to your local regional SAG-AFTRA representation um, or uh, union office. I know they have one in Chicago and I know that they have a local and I know that they're going to have people out there who can help you. Um, so get online, figure out who those people are and get in touch with them. Because, for instance, you said you were picked out of holding by the stunt coordinator for some, some motorcycle light stunts. Like if you don't have the protection of the union and doing stuff like that, that's really dangerous. Um, this is some of the other stuff that Trevor didn't read in the email, but I'm just sort of tying it together with, um, what he was saying about the featured, uh, yeah. the word featured. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, uh, Sam, you've, you've been on sets, which is a, a really great thing to, uh, share with casting directors and agents and managers and anybody in the industry. If they can see that you are experienced on a set, that you know when to talk, you know when to be quiet, you know when, what go back to one means. Like you, you, if you know your way around a set, that is a huge asset because I, in my experience, and again, this is just my experience, but that is one of the most important things is that when people hire you, they are certain that you are not going to be a problem on set, meaning you're not going to be high maintenance. You're not going to be confusing. You're not going to be a time suck asking for directions, asking too many questions, not knowing what things mean. So just absolutely those TV shows you've been on, even if you're just a background person, absolutely put them on your resume because that shows that you, uh, you've learned a thing or two and you know your way around. So just wanted to drop that in there. That's really, really important. I would, um, I would uh, play devil's advocate on that one specifically. I was actually going to say to not put them on your resume. Maybe change it after you get representation um, here in L.A. So if it says like what you were saying, Trevor, about saying featured, people know what that means. So that that would be the way to list it. But after you're actually represented, you have representation, I, I doubt that your agents or manager or whatever would want you to continue to have that stuff on your resume because it's not really going to, it, I, I, I don't know that it would help you get a job. So mm. I would actually disagree with it there. It might help you get representation because like, Oh, 
sorry about that. That was my phone falling. Um, like, uh, like I was saying, um, it might help you get representation because, uh, like you were saying, Trevor, um, they might see that you have onset experience and that's a great thing. Um, but I, I don't know that it's going to help with getting an audition essentially. Hmm. Yeah. Good clarification for sure. Uh, all right, Sam, hope that helps. Thanks for the question. Uh, if there's anything we misinterpreted or didn't touch on that you'd like to hear more about, please feel free to follow up. Uh, very honored of always, as always to, you know, field these kind of things. Thank you so much for, for listening and for writing in and asking what we think. Always very cool. Anything else to add AJ before we jump into part one here with Judy Ann? No, let's do it, man. All right, guys. So part one of my chat with Judy Ann, what's really cool about this whole interview, there's there's two parts. Uh, part one today is about 25 minutes. The second part's a bit longer. But it's just a cool sort of perspective. And you can really see that the things that that really, you know, there's some cool stories and some cool sort of historical call-outs and things like that. It's just really fun to listen to. But the things that, that drive uh, success in this career haven't changed. I mean... Judy Ann started her career back in like the late 60s and uh, her mindset and her conviction and the community that she drew, drew on for support and resources and things, that is all just as true right now today, no matter who you are, no matter what you look like, no matter where you come from, as it ever has been. So um, I just wanted to kind of point, be listening for that as you listen to this, because I just think it's really cool to have an ear for that part of it as you hear her tell her stories and as you'll also hear her mindset was ever everything that's a huge part of why she's enjoyed such an illustrious career so uh, enough of a preface there enjoy part one with judy and guys we'll catch you on the other side excited to be sitting across the table from actress, writer, and director, Judy Ann Elder, whom you have absolutely seen somewhere along the way on something. She's a very uh, prolific veteran stage and screen actress, also a writer and a director, uh, best known for roles on Murphy Brown, Martin, and Family Matters, so a lot of good sitcom stuff, but tons and tons of stage work as well, and film work with people like uh, Billy D. Williams, Cicely Tyson, Billy Crystal, Will Smith... So we have a lot to chat about today. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Well, thank you. Um, so we used to like to start at the very beginning and just hear how you sort of fell into all this stuff. I mean, a career in the entertainment industry is not necessarily the sanest choice. So, so what was it that had you choose this and not, you know, real estate investment or something? Oh, uh, no. Clearly, um, um, I had this dream literally as a child my my parents took me to the movies all of the time and they knew what i wanted to do so they encouraged that now of course what we saw in the film had very little reflection of people like me 
of African-American people. There were a few, but it was rare. So I've often been asked, how could you even wish for that when you didn't see you that frequently? And I said, well, quite honestly, my parents taught me to be a citizen of the world. And I simply thought I would be like Doris Day. Hmm. <laughs> Just simple <laughs> as that. Uh, and um, we were, my brothers and I, were encouraged uh, to, you know, participate in art forms in all kinds of ways, whether it was music, film, stage. So we were... We were guided along those lines. Uh, neither of them chose something like this. My older brother's an architect, and the other brother eventually went to seminary and uh, dabbles in writing. But I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And by the time um, I got into high school... Um, I was doing a lot of plays. Mm-hmm. And j- just to be clear, you grew up in, I think, Cleveland, right? Cleveland. Okay, so it's not necessarily a hotbed of the performing arts. Well, that's not really true. There's a Cleveland Playhouse. Which sure, is, which sure. Is renowned. But, de- but it's definitely not New York or LA. Yeah. No, it was none of those things. Yeah. How, uh, however, I was in every play and that I could get into. And I loved it. By the time I was ready to graduate, you know, actually prior to that, I made it clear that I wanted to major in theater. Of course, that didn't really please them. They were hoping this would Mm. somehow (laughs) go away. Um, My older brother was at Amherst, and he knew of my interests, and he suggested that I apply to Emerson in Boston. So that's what I did. And, um, of course, I I went to college there in Boston. Mm -hmm. And I was steeped in theater. So you studied studied, drama? I was a theater theater major. Yes, that's what I studied. And I had a great time at Emerson. I learned a lot, and it was so interesting because my high school drama teacher eventually came to Emerson to teach. Well, that's serendipitous. <laughs> it was really amazing. Yeah. Um, and at any rate, it was, a, it was a great experience for me. I was able to cultivate some friendships with some very, very interesting people. Uh, Spalding Gray and I were good friends. He was uh, an upperclassman. We uh, we did a lot. We did two plays together outside of school. Two two character pieces, and um, he was he was a really terrific friend. We did things at school. We did you know, Moliere and uh, other pieces together. And I'm so frustrated because I had kept some of the letters that he wrote over the years to me. 
And I wanted his sons to see it after his passing. I can't find the letter. But he talked about why he wanted to be an mm. actor. Mm. And I'm still searching and, uh, <laughs> for that letter. But at any rate, that was encouraging. And he also had done work at the Theater Company of Boston. And he suggested when they were looking for a character, and and apparently their contract was such that they could get a non-equity actor in one of these roles. And um, he suggested that they audition me. And the play was Funny House of a Negro by Adrian Kennedy. It just so happened that Adrian and my Adrian's mother and my mother were best friends. How about that? <laughs> there, there's an in for you. I mean, and but at any rate, it was a great experience. I loved doing it, and that was my first connection with you know professionals, really. Mm-hmm. And. Um, after that, uh, you know, I continued. That was my sophomore year. Then junior, Spud dropped out of school. Um, and um, by the time I was a senior, I knew that I'd have to make use of this degree in some way or the other. Well, it just so happened at graduation that I received an award. It was the first uh, Carol Burnett Award in the performing arts. And I was the recipient, and let me tell you, there were some people there who were wonderful mm-hmm. <laughs> in mm-hmm. my class. I mean, Henry Winkler was in my class. Really? And he was a terrific actor. Oh. He is. Right. Uh, really and truly. And, you know, his career shows it. So, at any rate, <laughs> at no, any rate. I, I actually I do want to pause for just a moment yes. because I think you, you your first official credit on on IMDb is I think 1968 or so. Mm, yeah, for television. Yeah, yeah. So you you were you were active in theater, and theater is so often indicative of larger social movements. Um, and that was a different time than it is oh, yeah. right now. Oh, yeah. Well, the Vietnam War was going on yeah. when I was in yeah. college. So I'm, I'm curious, because uh, our perspectives are so different, not only because of the age difference, but also the demographics. Right. What did you, what obstacles did you come up against, if any, in pursuing this or telling these stories as a, a, a woman and that's also a minority in that Time. In that environment in Boston, yeah. also, especially with the plays that I did off campus. Yeah. Uh, I, again, that had been brainwashed from me. I, I was taught that I am capable to do anything that I'm prepared to do. Hmm. So it was, it was never even a conversation. Well, no, it was, there were conversations because we, we uh, my friends and I, my dearest friends, they're my friends I went to college with. You know, we would protest, we would march, we did all kinds of things. I mean, we were politically aware, not as aware as I should have been, but, <laughs> but 
My daughter teases me because the letters that I have that I sent home to my mother were always requesting this dress and that dress. That sounds so frivolous. And 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 my daughter says, "Did you not know that there was a war <laughs> in Vietnam?" <laughs> At any rate, yes, I did. So it was it was a changing world, and certainly, I mean, after the assassination of Kennedy whom I adored, as did everyone. That was... And I remember I was sleeping in the dorm, taking a nap, and I got up and I heard all this crying and went downstairs. It was horrible. And we had only seen him shortly before that because, you know, he was in Boston and there was a... uh, uh, what do you call it? Motor, motorcade. Yeah, uh, motorcade. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we were all out there waving. And yeah. Did, did it ever cross your mind that, gosh, maybe I can't do this. Maybe I don't have what it takes. Or was it always that rock-solid belief that was no, installed? No, I didn't hold that belief. Because so, I, I got a, a lot of encouragement at Emerson. And that the summer... Before I went to school, and in Boston alone, but I had a lot of Southerners at Emerson also, and I had uh, gone that summer before I went to Emerson uh, to the March on Washington, where Dr. King spoke, yeah. uh, which was an extraordinary experience. I can imagine. It and, was extraordinary. And you also, I believe, played... Coretta Scott came later. These things uh, opposite all came, Billy Look at that all came <laughs> back together. These things just you know, it, when you look at your your past, oftentimes you can see a pattern, and you can see that one thing led to another thing that led to another thing. So, by the time I graduated, as I said, and received this award. The press agent for the Negro Ensemble Company right. that was assembling was there because um, he was, uh, first of all, he had attended uh, Emerson, but secondly, he was uh, representing, uh, he was for Edward, he was Edward Albee's press agent. And he was Edward Albee was receiving an award, uh, and that was why he was there. Uh, okay, so uh, when I received the award after uh, the uh, graduation ceremony, he came up to me and said, "Would you be interested in auditioning for the Negro Ensemble Company?" I was aware of it, and it's the it's, it's a, a trajectory to um, be formed. And I said, "Of course, yes, yes, hmm. definitely." And he gave me his card and so forth and so on. And he said he let me know when the auditions would be, and it would be arranged. So, of course, my parents were there at graduation, and their expectation was what I had initially put in their heads, that after graduation, I was going to come to California. Mm -hmm. 
And I said, I've changed my mind because this is an extraordinary opportunity. So I, I need to go to New York. Okay, so they said fine. And I went to New York and uh, I auditioned. And they wouldn't know for about two and a half months or so. Hmm. Uh, who the company would be. So it was two and a half months between your audition and the time you found out whether or not this was exactly. going to be a thing. Exactly. So, okay, I have to ask, how did you support yourself in the interim? Well, one of my brothers was living in New York, the one that was in seminary, so I knew I had I could stay with him. Okay. And my, my uh, parents said, well, my father gave me an American Express card, and he said... This is for emergencies only. Famous and, last words. <laughs> and only. And not anything, you know, trivial. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, didn't, I didn't abuse it. But my mother said, and yes, dear, if you have to be there for two and a half months, you need to get a job. And she was not kidding now, here I am in New York City, uh, thinking I'm Mary Tyler Moore. <laughs> I said, what can I do? I couldn't even type. I had no practical skills. I had once had a job in high school as a receptionist for a law firm. That was it. Oh, I worked while I was in school one summer when I stayed there and I in a department store. So those were my skills. Okay, that was something. So I'm walking down the street and I don't know what I thought that I'd see a sign out saying help wanted or what. And I looked up and I saw this tall building with these rabbit ears on it. And it was a Playboy Club. I said, I bet I can do that. Do, do, do that, <laughs> meaning do what? I have to. Working what was going money. through your mind? I could be a bunny. Oh, all right. And I mean, how hard is that? <laughs> so I, I didn't have anything to lose, I thought. And so I walked in and I said, I'm interested in becoming a bunny. Uh, and I asked, you know, what would it pay? And, and, and the bunny mother said, well, let's first put you into a costume. Okay. And then if we proceed, we'll discuss that. So I went and put on the bunny thing and um, came back out. And it was just she and I. And she said, you're hired. Mm. And I said, Great. And the money seemed that it would be, you know, quite reasonable for my needs. Um, I had to go into training. Yeah, I was going to ask, what exactly did you do in the bunny costume well, first of all, for two you, and a half months? First of all, the musts were you had to wear stilettos. You had this little costume, right? It was actually innocent compared to things now. It really and truly was. Uh, uh, but uh, you had to have a little bunny tail. Uh, no, you know. 
back there. And uh, you had to make up. You had to wear false eyelashes. You, and you had to learn how to do all of these things. And I, since you all are probably millennials, you don't know anything about cocktail apps. Yeah, cocktail waitresses, do you? Do you? Did not really, do you? Uh, I mean, I don't know specifically what you're referring to. Well, you know, are there a lot of places that have people walking around with trays and doing the bunny dip? Okay. All right. Well, that's what I had to learn how to do in the two weeks of training. Okay. Uh, (laughs) And that was considered a very exclusive club. Wow. Extremely exclusive. And was that the, that was the full two and a half months before you found out you were going to be part of the ensemble? That's right, and I made a lot of money, mm. and that was from tips, really. And it was it was terribly innocent. My father was <laughs> he was just oh please, the college education for this, right? <laughs> and. My mother said, well, you have to understand this is kind of form of show business. And <laughs> they were very interesting people, but they were, they were very conservative. Hmm. Uh, not politically, but, you know, and how things should be handled. Sure. So uh, you found out then about two and a half months into that gig. Yes. I assume that you were going to be part of the... the I got the call that I would be in the company. That's amazing. And that was obviously a paid uh, the, thing. Not only was it paid, it was 365 days out of the year. Wow. That was unheard of. And this was a an assemblage of black actors, writers, directors. We studied with Paul Mann. We studied dance. We studied karate. It, it, we we uh, 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 with uh, Kristen Linklater for voice. I mean, which was really, really extraordinary, and it allowed us to develop a style of acting, mm-hmm. and it was just it was just extraordinary, and. Um, I was loving every single minute of it. And there were people that I had heard of, like Moses Gunn, who was a great actor, who eventually I would work with on Broadway when Billy had to leave and I have a dream. But we worked together at the NEC with Rosalind Cash, with Francis Foster, with Denise Nicholas and Hattie Winston, the three of us are the only women left from the original company. Esther Roll, uh, please don't let me forget anyone. Clarice Taylor. These are all really historically brilliant actors. And it was at the Negro Ensemble Company that I met my first husband. My maiden name was Johnson, uh, which I had to change for equity. Hmm. Because they, there's a Judy Johnson. Oh, Judith Johnson. No, there's a Judith Johnson. I said, how about Judy? Oh, uh, no, no. Whatever. There were, I couldn't do it. So I changed my name to Judy Ann Johnson. J-O-N-S-S-O-N. 
So it was Judy Ann Hanson, because everybody would everybody would make jokes. Uh, they called me the kid, and the kid is, you know, Swedish or something. I don't know, but <laughs> at any rate, but it it was great, and yeah. we uh, we worked with an incredible composer, Coolidge Taylor Perkins. It just everything was just it was an unbelievable gift from God. I was going to say, I was going to use that exact same word. What a gift to, to That's right. roll out of a great program at Emerson straight into, well, almost straight into a, 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 a 365 life. degree, or I'm sorry, 365 day per year gig with a really wonderful ensemble getting just further training. So it's almost like that was your grad school. Oh yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, as I was saying, I met my first husband there because he was the, um, and the father of my children, um, head of the playwrights division. Hmm. And long story short, after my tenure there, we well, no, during my tenure there, and with the whole company went to Europe, which was the, for the World Theater Festival, which was extraordinary. The first play we did was The Song of the Lusitanian Bogie, which was about apartheid in South Africa, and taking it to London was extraordinary. Yeah, I bet. It was extraordinary. Yeah. So, um... And and we also went to Rome, and we toured the country. At any rate, it was a great experience. And how, how long was your tenure with them? When you when you said it was two years. Wow! And was that a contract that you signed, or was it just no? Sort of like it was a... ongoing. It was ongoing. Um, at any rate, Lonnie and I got married. Lonnie Elder the third, and. Um, after that, I resigned from the company. We were going to have our family, and uh, we were living in New York. He had had a lot of success with the play that he wrote, Ceremonies and Dark Old Men. And he was nominated for a Pulitzer, and he got a lot of attention as a result of that. And it had moved to another theater in New York. I did another play in New York then, but, but I was not going to do the 364. I was, you know, my life was changing. We had uh, in New York, our, um, my oldest son is my stepson. My middle child is my son Christian, and he was born in New York. We were living in this apartment uh, building. It was very nice, but the concierge was always drunk. And uh, you could call down and he would be drunk. And we were sitting uh, in our living room with my parents shortly after Christian was born. And we could hear this jingling at the door. This jingling, and my husband went and looked out, and there was someone with all the keys <laughs> trying to get into the apartment. And that's when we made the decision, we're moving. Wow. We're moving. Now, we had been to California uh, that uh, summer, and 
my husband came out here to do some work on Universal, for Universal, and some other things. And we were such, you know, New York snobs by then. Oh, I can't wait to get back to New York. This place is so clean. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it has no, it has no depth to it. Mm. It's tinsel town. And we went back. We got off the plane, and then that inc- and then Christian was born in New York, and then that incident happened, and we said. We're leaving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we came to California. And he had been, uh, he'd been offered um, a film and a, a, a television show of some kind. I guess it's so long ago. But at any rate, um, we settled in here. I was just enjoying life with my, my child and California and our little house with its picket fence. I liked all of that. What, what part of town? It was in yeah. North Hollywood. Hey folks, welcome back from the interview. I'm really excited to hear this. Uh, as I said many, many episodes ago, I was not able to attend um, this interview, so I'm excited to hear it. Uh, along with all of you and uh, Trev do you have a debrief for us or is that more of a part two thing uh, there's some cool stuff in part two as, as you heard uh, we sort of left this conversation right as she was moving to LA um, but uh, nothing nothing to debrief that I didn't say right before it's just the things that uh, the timeless sort of principles to be listening for so awesome. um, yeah hope you guys really enjoyed that what is your well, I'm looking at it your pick of the week uh, tell mm. us about this because this is something I, I enjoyed a lot. Yeah. Uh, so longtime listeners of the podcast may remember that one of my favorite authors is Michael Crichton. Um, may he rest in peace. Um, one of the last novels that he published before he passed away is this novel called Prey, uh, P-R-E-Y. And uh, it is essentially a cautionary, much in the same way that Jurassic Park is a cautionary tale and um, sort of genetic manipulation. This is a cautionary tale in the world of nanotechnology. Um, and I, I, I haven't finished it yet, but uh, I picked, I, I bought it like probably years and years and years ago off the shelf. When I, I, I always like to pick up his books whenever I find them, and uh, I just for some reason have never read it and so I started reading it just a couple days ago and I've already burned through half the book I'll probably finish it in the next day or two um it is a page turner just like all of his other books and um I I'm really really enjoying it so um that is my my pick of the week this week Pray by uh Mr. Michael Crichton hmm. Awesome. And that was one of the first, I remember exactly where and when I picked that book up. I was brand new to LA and I was just wandering around, uh, Barnes and Noble to kill some time. And I saw that book on the shelf. Well, not on the shelf. It was like one of those tables where it was like buy, buy two, get one free or like mm. dis- discount books or whatever, or like, or like pre-read or whatever. It was a dollar 99 for that book. And it was a hard, hard cover. And I snatched it up and, and I read it like you, I read it like so quickly. I was, it was like a two or three day thing and I was done. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a good book. That's awesome. That that makes sense because you said you've been in how long? You've been in LA fourteen years. Fourteen years. Yeah, yeah, because it was it was published in two thousand two. So like, it makes sense. Like the timing. Yeah, uh, makes perfect sense. That's yeah. funny. I gotta ask before we move on. What is your favorite <laughs> Michael Crichton book? Oh, ooh, 
That's tough because I, I actually have indeed read almost all of them. I, I think I, I know it's probably going to be cliche, but I, I'm going to have to say Jurassic Park. Hmm. Um, it is so it's so different from the it's actually really different from the um, from the movie. Um, both Jurassic Park and The Lost World are very different from the um, films that followed them. And uh, I, I that was the first one I ever read of his. And um, it just like, I don't know, it's so good. It's such a it, like the pace of the he, he's one of those writers where like um, I always remember the way that J.K. Rowling would describe Harry and Ron and Hermione's lungs burning because they were running. She spent a lot of time talking about how much how much pain those children were experiencing trying to fight Voldemort. Um, th- there was something very visceral and um, and and anxiety uh, causing about those moments in those books. And Michael Crichton is very good at those moments. Like you can feel yourself, your skin, like you get goosebumps, your heart starts pounding, you start sweating, you, you know, it's like, it's probably not good for your health, <laughs> really. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and just the, the pacing of, um, of that book um, was just incredible. It was, it's, it's, it's also a pace. If you never read Jurassic Park, by the way, you should totally um uh, even if you're very familiar with the the film, which I am, uh, I would recommend reading that book. It's it's such a good book. Mm-hmm. What's your? Do you have a favorite Michael Crichton? Oh yeah, Sphere, hands down. I kn- oh, I knew you were gonna say Sphere. I should have guessed. Mm. I should have said, "Hang on, let me guess," because I had a feeling that was gonna be your favorite. Yeah, yeah I haven't loved all of his books. I, I remember reading the Andromeda Strain and um, some of his other earlier ones, and uh, I was always kind of like. I was reading them because they were by Michael Crichton, not because I really wanted to read them. But Sphere was <laughs> that, one of those. That was books. Airframe for me. Yeah, <laughs> I read Airframe because it said Michael Crichton yeah, on it. I read yeah. Airframe too, and I was like, eh, eh. but uh, <laughs> dude, Sphere was like, oh, that's that's top ten for me, top ten sci-fi books of all time. And the movie was good, but it didn't do it justice. The book was no. freaking phenomenal, so yeah. good. It's hard with film to like get you know you're you're relying heavily on the director's vision and the actor's uh, uh you know talent not that oh my god the the cast in that movie is fantastic but I'm just saying like in order to get the s- sort of psychological details that an author can put into their characters it's that's it's really challenging it's one of the reasons my books are so much better than 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 the film adaptation but yeah that book is whew, that book is yeah. intense that actually might be my second favorite yeah, it's a good one. And you really hit it on the head. How he writes those those moments of suspense are are everything. I mean, every author and novelist has their strengths and, and that is definitely one of his. You just you're there in the moment. You're like you said, your skin like tightens up with, with the tension of the moment. Mm. He's yeah. uh he knew what he was doing, that guy. <laughs> that guy knew what he was doing. I read that uh, as he would as he was get closer to finishing a book, he would actually rent a hotel room and go and stay in the hotel room for a couple of weeks away from his family as he finished the book because what he needed to do and i hope i'm not screwing this up but this is how i remember it when i read about it what he would do is he he would get up progressively earlier in the day because he did his best writing when he was sort of in that in-between state of just having woken up but not yet you know into the day so there's like an hour or so of that sort of soft part of 
the transition. And that's when he did his best writing. And he needed to get up early and earlier to keep surprising his body to keep himself in that, that phase. And it would just drive his wife crazy, he said. So he would go stay in the hotel and do that as he was getting to the, the last weeks of, of writing. Wow. Yeah, that's that's an artist for you, huh? Right, yeah. They, yeah. We all have like some way where we, we click, we get into that groove. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so good. So good. Uh, what is your pick of the week, man? So uh, I came across two Chrome extensions this week that are basically identical. And I'm going to make my pick of the week the one that I think is better. Uh, the first Chrome extension I came across is called Honey. Like, you know, that bees make honey. And then uh, the second one is called Wikibuy. And Wikibuy, in my experience, is the better of the two extensions. They both essentially do the same thing. You install them in your Chrome browser, whether it's a Mac, a PC, whatever. And uh, they they will basically tell you, if you go to buy something on Amazon or I think a, a few different retailers, this plugin will then quickly search the internet and find out where you can get that item that you're looking for cheaper. So I'm sure that there's all sorts of like privacy concerns that are coming up for people. Uh, (laughs) I personally gave up that fight a long time ago. (laughs) Whoever needs my information has already got it. They found it a long time ago. I I don't, I think it's kind of fruitless to play that game if you're going to be a citizen of the internet, but uh, I found it valuable. And like, I don't do much shopping online and I definitely don't want to encourage people to go out and just buy stuff um, cause stuff is not the answer. I'm learning that as I declutter, uh, mm. go through that process. I'm like, man, all these things I bought that I, I didn't even use. It's just sitting in my closet. But, um, if you're looking for something that's essential, um, this plugin's great. Cause you'll pull up the thing on Amazon and they'll tell you where you can find it cheaper, how much you can save, or if you are getting the best deal on Amazon. So it's pretty cool. Wikibuy is the Chrome extension. Honey is also a good one, but I like Wikibuy a little better. So the link to Wikibuy is on our website. Uh, cool. So that's Wikibuy, uh, Chrome extension plugin extension thing. And, uh, Prey by Michael Crichton. Great book. And I have to say, I think reading fiction is really important for your brain, for your empathy muscle, and just to sort of entertain yourself in a way that's, that's, um, somewhat demanding. It involves participation from your brain. Uh, to to entertain yourself with fiction. So um, just wanted to drop that in there from uh, from one book nerd to all the other book nerds listening. And AJ, I know you're 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 a book nerd too. Let's be honest. Um, Closeted book. Nerd. Yeah, I, I think that reading fiction is one of those things we can think of as a luxury, and I think you know it can be seen that way. But I also think it's it's kind of like good exercise, you know. So uh, do do more of that this summer. Read read some more fiction. Don't make it all nonfiction, people. Yay. All right. So that is it for episode 283 uh, episode of Inside Acting. This was produced and co-hosted by me, Trevor Alcott, and you, AJ Meyer. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Gadala Gubarek is our marketing and web director. Deborah Smith is our community manager. Grace Gordon is our director of It's her birthday today. It is her birthday. Happy birthday, Grace. (laughs) I was waiting for you to come across her name. I'm like, birthday girl. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like I'm trying to like jump rope. I'm like, <laughs> or like catch a train and jump on it. Grace Corden, our director of public relations, uh, and Fern Lim designed our logo. 
that was me that edited and mixed today's episode and composed the theme and interview music. You can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our episodes over at our website, InsideActing.net. You can also find us on social media and wherever you get your podcasts. If you've got a minute, please leave us a review in iTunes, the world's largest podcast aggregator, because that really helps us out a lot. Big thanks to our sponsors, Rehearsal Pro and VO2GoGo.com. And a big thanks to you guys, our listeners. You make this thing happen. You can visit our website and subscribe to our weekly newsletter, get links to everything we've talked about in this episode. And if you'd like, and this is for big bonus points, you can support the continued production of this show with either a one-time financial contribution. You can just hop on PayPal or Venmo or, or Square and just send us a few bucks uh, one-off time, you know, that's it. Would be awesome. Uh, or you can sign up to re- contribute to us on a recurring basis every month uh, as part of our membership. So all the details at our website, just go over to insideacting.net to learn more and show us a little bit of love. That's it for episode 283 of Inside Acting. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, find yourself in fiction. That's so good, dude. That's really good. Yeah, that's actually, speaking of Grace Gordon, that's a Grace Gordon thing. We were talking about like how, like ways of trying to sort of pre, like basically create jobs for yourself. So if you read a lot like she does and like you do, you can find characters that sort of look and and be like you in them. And if it hasn't been made into like a book or movie yet, like just pay attention to whoever owns, you know, the rights and try to follow it. Um, and she took that idea or I, I gave her the suggestion of taking that idea to a whole nother level because she is now going to be putting together a sizzle reel of two scenes that she wrote based on a character in a book in like a book series that she's in love with and wants to play the main character. I was like, you should just like write scenes and cast yourself now and start getting it out there. And if it becomes viral, then no one's going to be able to see anyone else as that character. And then she pooped herself and now she's doing it. So, um, yeah, pretty, pretty cool, uh, idea. I wish I would have talked about that before I said, find yourself in fiction. (laughs)